all year we're focusing on learning the way of Jesus. And the big question we've been trying to answer is this. If the gospel is true, how then should we live? And we just finished a series on the Ten Commandments, which if you missed any of those messages, you can go back and you can watch online or you can listen uh, to the audio podcast if you'd like. And next week, we'll start a brand new sermon series on the life of the Apostle Paul, which is really a fascinating story. It's a wild story. Uh, but for us, it serves as a great case study of what it looks like to learn the way of Jesus. Uh, but for today, for Easter Sunday, we're considering the ancient claim that Christians have made from the beginning, a claim that is at the heart of the gospel message, and a claim that if true, changes everything. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world, he was buried, but on the third day he rose again from the dead. If that is true, as Christians believe that it is, if Jesus really is alive, even today, then it really changes everything. Now everyone has things in their life that they wish they could change. Everyone, every one of us has silly things or embarrassing things or shameful things, memories that we wish that we could erase. Everyone has things that they said or did or that were done to them that they wish that they could forget, or if possible, to go back and somehow undo. But if Jesus is alive, it changes everything. If Jesus was raised from the dead, then he is who he claimed to be, and every terrible detail of our lives can become part of a new story, a story of redemption and forgiveness and hope and life and glory in him. But for many people today, a resurrection, the idea that a person could come back from the dead after days in the grave, might seem impossible. And if that's you today, I'd simply ask you to listen to the story and see what you think. Even Christians believe that this event wasn't something that happened all the time 2,000 years ago. It was unique to Jesus. It was something new that God was doing. See if the story, see if the story seems plausible to you because if it isn't true, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, then nothing in the Christian faith is helpful at all. But if there's even a chance that it might be true, then it's worth investigating, right? Because if it is true, then it changes everything. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can take it and open to Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 1, and we'll put the scripture on the screens for you as well. Uh, but today, for Easter, we're going to read through this first Easter story in three parts. First, we'll see the culmination, second, the conspiracy, and third, the commission. Let's start with verse 1. This is the culmination, Matthew 28, starting in verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. 
The angel said to the woman, the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Okay, so let's pause here. So this account of the resurrection comes to us from Matthew. And Matthew was a Jewish man who was a friend and follower of Jesus. Matthew was a tax collector before he became a Christian, but he gave up his career when Jesus called Matthew to follow him. Now, if we had started at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, he, instead of the final chapter, this is the very end, everything in his gospel account has led up until this point. The, the birth and the life and the ministry of Jesus, including his teaching and healing and the other miracles that he performed, all culminates with his death and his resurrection from the dead. Now, on Good Friday, we read through all of Matthew 27, and we saw how Jesus, the Son of Man, was betrayed, condemned, and abused. How he was crucified, died, and was buried. It was brutal. It was unjust. And I'm sure it was shocking and, and disorienting for his friends and followers. But then something unexpected happened that would forever change the course of human history. Something happened that literally marks time for all of humanity. Chapter 28 starts with a very early morning on the first day of the week, which for the Jewish people would have been a Sunday. And just like in many Catholic families today, Mary was a common name for women back in first century Judea. So Mary and Mary, the other Mary, went to the tomb to dress the body of Jesus with spices and ointments that were used in that day as a way to honor their friend in his death. But notice that they still expected him to be in the tomb. They expected a body. Now, even though they didn't have iPhones back then, people weren't dumb. 2,000 years ago, people knew that the dead didn't just come back to life. The stone at the entrance of the tomb was to keep people out, not to keep people in. But when these faithful women arrived, they were surprised and afraid at what they saw. Roman soldiers shaking with fear. An angel whose appearance was like lightning. Oh, and the body of Jesus happened to be missing. Now, none of these things are, were what they were expecting to find. But in that glorious and hopeful moment, they didn't know fully yet what God was doing. He was doing something new. But the angel told them not to be afraid. Do not be afraid. In fact, that's a common theme of the resurrection stories. Je Jesus had risen from the dead, the angel said, just as he said he would do. 
Now, it's a little funny detail to me of the, these resurrection stories because multiple times, not just once, but multiple times we have in the record of Scripture, Jesus had told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. I will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the religious and the political leaders in Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and die, but on the third day I'm going to rise again. Jesus repeatedly told his disciples that. But his disciples just couldn't understand that he was speaking literally. In fact, until Jesus actually rose from the dead, no one expected him to rise from the dead. But here, they were at an empty tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Could it be true? So the women ran to tell the others what they had seen when who should they meet but Jesus himself. Greetings. Hey, friends, their friend, their leader, their Messiah, their king, their God was alive. Jesus was alive. And it says that they worshiped him. Now, this is a key fact that speaks to what these first followers thought of who Jesus was. So we just finished a series on the Ten Commandments, and what is commandment number one? It reads like this, I am Yahweh your God, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Jewish people were clearly forbidden to worship anyone or anything other than the one true and living God. And for these women and many others, to worship Jesus was a declaration of faith that Jesus was God. They weren't guilty of breaking the first command. They were actually being faithful in worshiping the Lord. So in this dramatic scene, we see the culmination of the work of Jesus in his death and his resurrection from the dead. Second, we see a conspiracy to try and stop this movement. Look at verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a, a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Okay, let's pause here once again. The plot thickens. There's tension building, okay? We saw that the disciples of Jesus weren't expecting a literal resurrection. And if this had only been a made-up claim, the religious leaders then could have simply produced the body and proved the resurrection claims to be false. He's here. We killed him. But there was no body. The tomb was empty. And no one was more surprised than the, the disciples. The soldiers told the religious leaders what had happened, but they refused to believe it. Like the apostle Paul before he became a Christian, they didn't understand that Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that they supposedly held dear. He was the fulfillment to all of the promises of God in the scriptures. 
He was the Jewish Messiah they were supposed to be waiting for. But instead, they hated Jesus. They had him killed and tried to cover up the resurrection, which is why they paid off the Roman soldiers and spread this rumor that this was all just a plot of the disciples to fake a resurrection. But Jesus was alive. In Acts chapter one, Luke the historian writes this. After his suffering, he, Jesus, presented himself to the disciples and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, this wasn't a hallucination, and spoke about the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. What this means is that there were hundreds of eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you wanted to, at that time, you could go talk to them. Christianity did not start as a new way to be a good person. It didn't start as a new way to go to heaven when you die. The Christian faith started as news of something that God had done through the person and work of Jesus. Now, historically, it's really difficult to see how the, the Christian faith could have started, much less spread throughout the Roman Empire, if Jesus hadn't appeared after his death. It would have been surely just another failed movement that ended when the leader was killed, which has happened many times throughout history. But the message of Jesus only continued to spread, even as many of the first followers gave their lives for the faith. The apostles didn't get rich and famous for being leaders of this cool new religion. Uh, they all, with the exception of the apostle John, we believe, were killed for their message. Christianity didn't spread because it was cool or there was some material benefit. In fact, it was costly. Instead, it spread because it was credible, it was believable, it was true. So first, we see the culmination. Second, we see the conspiracy. Third, and finally, we see the commission. Look back at verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is God's word. Well, this passage is commonly called the Great Commission. When Jesus commissioned or sent out his disciples to make disciples of all nations, this means learning to follow Jesus and helping others do the same. Which, by the way, is what we're still trying to do today as a church. The two activities of this commission that Jesus gives uh, describe the whole of the Christian life. This is the whole deal. Baptism represents the start of hearing and believing the gospel and entering into a new and everlasting relationship with God. Baptism signifies our union with Christ in his, his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. 
symbolized in going down and eventually coming back up out of the water. It, it also signifies our cleansing, our washing from sin, our forgiveness, and the freedom that we have because of the cross of Christ. Well, the second activity that Jesus mentions here is learning to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And this represents the whole rest of the journey of the Christian life. I can speak from experience that it takes a very long time to learn to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It takes a very long time to fully learn how to fully love your neighbor as yourself. I can speak from experience that it takes a very long time to submit every aspect of your heart, mind, and life in obedience to Christ. In fact, I have not yet fully attained any of these things. I still fail. I still have fears and doubts at times, even as a pastor. The line, afraid yet filled with joy, and the line, they worshiped him but some doubted, those resonate with me too. Even though I've seen God do incredible things in my life and in the lives of the people of this church. It takes the whole rest of our lives to learn and grow and be transformed into the men and the women that God has created us to be. But by God's grace, we can make progress. By the truth of God's word and the power of his Holy Spirit at work in our lives, we can make progress. Through the support of our brothers and sisters in Christ here in the church and through our commitment to learn the way of Jesus, we can make progress and help others do the same. But don't you see? If Jesus is alive, as Christians believe that he is, with all the authority in heaven and on earth, then it changes everything. For the one who believes in Jesus, it changes your spiritual condition from death to life. It changes your identity from a spiritual orphan to a beloved child of God. It changes your value and worth. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And if God was willing to give up his one and only son for you, if Jesus was willing to lay down his life for you, if the Holy Spirit is willing to bear with you day in and day out, then no matter what anyone else thinks about you or has told you about your life and about your worth, you are of infinite worth to God. It changes your mission and purpose in life. You, too, have been called, commissioned, sent out by Jesus to join the work that he is already doing in this world. Now, some might be called into full-time work, vocational ministry, but all are called to join in the work of the gospel, the work of the church in sharing the good news of Jesus with a world that is lost without him. If Jesus is alive, then it changes your past and your present and your future. Every sin, great and small, is forgiven by God because of the price paid by Jesus Christ on the cross. Every challenge, every hardship, every difficulty in your present is faced with the very presence of Christ himself. 
For he said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Not just in the good times, in every time. Every fear, every potential threat in your future is nothing compared to the plans of God for you. Plans to prosper you, as he told ancient Israel, and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. If Jesus is alive, then it changes everything. But maybe you're thinking, you just don't know me. You don't know my life. So much would need to change. I would need a hundred lifetimes for God to make something good out of my life. But my friends, this is just not how God works. This is not how change works either, by the way. The Wright brothers made their historic first flight in a manned aircraft on December 17th, 1903. No one had ever flown in a plane before, and their top speed was a whopping 30 miles an hour. But after that first flight, on July 20th, 1969, not even 66 years later, astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin of the Apollo 11 mission flew almost 240,000 miles to land and walk on the moon before returning safely back to the Earth. 66 years is not even the total normal life expectancy for people today. If human beings can see that much change, if human beings can can make that much progress over the course of one single lifespan, how much more do you think God can change in your life? He can change everything. Everyone has things in their life they wish that they could change. Everyone wrestles with fears and doubts and guilt and shame. I know I do at times. I'm sure you do as well. But the claim of Christians from the very beginning is that Jesus Christ is alive. And that changes everything. So today... This is an invitation for you. Would you put your faith and trust in Jesus? He is not dead. He is alive and has ascended into heaven where he reigns and rules as the king of heaven and earth. Would you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? If so, then you will be saved. You will be made new. God will not stop working in your life. He will complete what he starts. You will change by the grace of God. And your story will become a story of redemption and forgiveness and hope and life and glory. And if that is true, then neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. Let us pray. 
Lord Jesus, thank you. We praise you. We give you all of the glory and honor for being willing to come into this world of darkness as the light, as the Savior, as the Lord, as the one who would give his life for the many to pay our ransom price, to be our sacrifice of atonement, to be the one who would free us from the power of sin and death. Lord Jesus, we love you, we honor you, and we ask that you would help us now to live lives that are changed by this wonderfully good news. We trust you to do this transformative work in our lives. We trust you that you have our best in mind. We trust you to remove the things that are harmful, harmful from our lives and to give us things that are helpful so that we might make this journey of following you. We might finish the race. We might be faithful to the end because you have been so faithful to us. We pray all these things in your powerful and mighty name. Amen.